Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Elaine Lowe with a special edition of the pod, now that we're rounding out week one of the actor strike and week 12 of the writer strike. Today we've got a chat with SAG-AFTRA chief negotiator Duncan Crabtree Ireland, recorded on Thursday, July 20th, about where negotiations stand with the AMPTP, artificial intelligence, and Netflix earnings. Take a listen. In light of Netflix's earnings call yesterday, I don't know if you caught any of it. Uh, Ted Sarando said, uh, you know, he's the son of a union electrician, said he's super committed to ending the strike soon, um, you know, and uh, wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Well, I think that it's great to hear that um, any of the CEOs are focused on trying to move this ball forward because we've been saying since uh, July 12th that we wanted to continue discussions and continue negotiations. So I'm very eager to uh, see that actually happen. And um, I think if Ted is committed to that, that's uh, that'll be a good step in the right direction. And, you know, the interesting thing about Netflix being the first to go in earnings season is, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a bellwether. And it says that it's uh, forecasting having an additional $1.5 billion in free cash flow because of both ongoing strikes and the timing of production starts. And that it's looking to put some of that surplus cash back into stock buybacks. Do you have any thoughts on that use of the cash? Well, I mean, obviously, I think it's unfortunate when the companies are in a strike situation like they are with both the writers and us. And when their priority is putting money back into shareholder pockets instead of thinking about how we can bring these strikes to a close and ensure that the content creators who actually make all of those businesses possible are treated fairly. So, you know, I don't think anyone's against shareholders making money, but shareholder gains should uh, be tempered by the need to treat your workers fairly and to make sure that the people who create content are also fairly compensated. You know, the thing that I find interesting is talking to folks who are around, at least when I was talking to the writers who are around for the last strike in 2007, 2008, um, something that keeps coming up is that uh, it seems like there's a greater focus from Wall Street and on Wall Street this time around in terms of how much the companies, uh, you know, care about uh, the street reaction. I mean, sort of what's your sense, looking historically uh, through past uh, negotiations at, at just sort of the, the, the impact that Wall Street plays into, into some of these companies' decision making? Yeah, it does seem to have a, a higher level of influence right now than we definitely have seen in past rounds. I mean, I think with companies that, you know, like Netflix that have been very dependent upon, uh, you know, in the past on venture capital and other sources of sort of raising capital to keep their operations going, you can understand why they are focused in that area. But I think the major studios are more focused in that area than ever before. And I'm assuming that's because of some of the kinds of uh, transactions that have happened in the industry. And, you know, as obviously one example being the Warner Brothers Discovery merger, where it seems like those corporate finance decisions have had huge impacts on the creative world and not in a good way. And, you know, if we could talk for a moment about the list of proposals and counters that you all released a couple of days ago, um, identifying some of the key issues as minimum earnings increases, AI, streaming compensation, health and pension contribution caps. Um, I'm wondering out of out of all of those, like the key issues, what's the issue where you all found the greatest divide between the union and the studios? You know, it's hard to say because they've been, I mean, as you saw from our chart of our proposals and counters, it's not like there's just one area in which they've been sort of stonewalling us or resistant to substantive progress. But I do think probably the most 
um, hard line position has been the refusal to consider any kind of sharing of revenue from streaming. And, um, you know, this may reflect part of the re reason why that's such a, a tough issue for them, even though our request is very, in my view, moderate and reasonable. And if I recall correctly, that the new media revenue share, I, I believe on the, the counter, it just said rejected, right? I mean, what kind of conversations yep. did you guys have around that? Um, well, <laughs> it's basically minimal. I mean, their their response to the that proposal almost every time we brought it up was we're not interested in discussing it. They did uh, at some point um, reflect on our, the part of our proposal that re related to the analytics company that we were suggesting could do the distribution analytics, and they you know had some negative things to say about that company. But other than that, there was no substantive discussion about the principles behind it. We explained the reasons why we thought it was important and why we thought it was justified, but they never they never engaged in any substantive conversation about it at all. And if we could talk about AI for a moment, uh, was sure. this much of a topic of discussion at all in the 2020 negotiations? It really seems to have come to the forefront, both for the writers and the actors this year. You know, I'm not aware of it being a major topic of discussion in 2020. I should note, I was not very involved in the 2020 bargaining because we were simultaneously working on the return to work agreement. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I was I was working on that while my uh, one of my colleagues was leading this uh, negotiation at that time. So but to my knowledge, it wasn't that big of a topic. But you can understand why when you look at the development of generative AI over the last 18 months, it's been extraordinary and the pace has been just unbelievable. So, you know, where we stand today with respect to the capabilities of AI and AI related tools compared to three years ago is it, it, it's a huge, huge difference. And so it is the time. There is no scenario in which we can wait, you know, the next three-year contract cycle to address AI, in my view. And, you know, for, for a layman listening, uh, how would you describe the next step of the negotiation? Are you essentially waiting for the AMPTP to reach back out to SAG or, you know, is who, whose court is the ball in right now? Well, I mean, we've said we're ready and willing and able to resume negotiations and discussions at any moment. Um, the company's last word to us was the MP through the AMPTP was, uh, you know, we won't be ready to talk for quite some time. Um, that wasn't a defined period of time, but it certainly didn't sound like hours or days. Uh, having said that, you know, we'll continue to put out uh, our interest in returning to negotiations, and I hope that they will pick up on that. And of course, there's always, you know, back channel conversations and other kinds of uh, communications going on that can potentially help um, bring us back into a place where a, a formal discussion is happening. Mm. And, you know, I was at Warner's last Friday when you and Fran were speaking and she had responded to a question about how long the strike could last by saying that uh, that you are all set up to go for six months if you have to. Um, was that more of an off-the-cuff comment, or is that something that's been uh, sort of calculated and, and and sort of thought out in terms of how the duration of a strike and how that impacts the membership? Well, I think it's it's not that we expect it to go that long. I mean, I, I hope that it won't go that long. I mean, really, there's no reason the strike should have to uh, even be happening, much less continue for such a long period of time. But the bottom line is we're prepared to stay on strike as long as it takes to get a fair deal, and we're not going to... Um, turn around and make uh, make a deal that's not fair to our members that doesn't respect them just because uh, you know a certain chronological point has hit. I think she 
you know, I don't know because uh, because we'd have to ask her, but I suspect her thinking was that the longest strike we've had in recent memory uh, in a major contract like this was our commercials contract strike in 2000, which did last about six months. So, um, you know, that could be viewed as, you know, the longest strike that we've seen, you know, in the modern era um, in a major contract. But uh, we don't even have a six-month time clock on it. We're we are in a strong financial position as an entity. We have um, emergency assistance funds available for our members uh, who might be in uh, financially extreme circumstances because of the strike. Uh, our members have a lot of resilience because of the nature of the job they do, how hard it is to work in this industry, even in the best of times, and the fact that a number of our other contracts are not being struck and there is work available to our members in those areas. So when you take all of those factors together, you know, the sort of message that I would deliver is um, we are well positioned to weather the strike um, as an institution. We're very mindful of the damage that it causes to our members and to others, and we'd like it to be as short as possible. But it takes two to tango, and the companies are the ones right now who aren't stepping up to the table. So let's hope that they do. And frankly, let's hope that their CEOs do, because I think that if there's more direct involvement from the CEOs in this conversation, that is more likely to result in an outcome that brings the strike to a close. And, and then lastly, you know, tell me a little bit more about how you and Fran work together. You know, how often you talk, how you coordinate messaging. You both have very different communication styles, but that uh, still seems to complement each other. Well, I certainly feel that way. I mean, Fran is a is just a powerhouse. And I just have to say, she's so dedicated and spends so much time. I mean, I think that's immediately apparent to everyone. Um, she's a very busy, you know, actor herself, uh, in addition to the work that she does for the union, the unpaid volunteer work that all of our elected leaders do. So working together, it's, it is a joy to work with her. We talk or text every single day, pretty much, if not multiple times per day. Uh, and, um, you know, we coordinate our activities closely in that way. But um, she has a busy life, plus this very big job that she's doing uh, on our members' behalf. And I, you know, I'm obviously doing, doing the, my part in all of this. So together, I think we, we make a really good team. It makes me proud what we have accomplished in this negotiation thus far. And um, that our members are very united uh, behind the strike effort to make sure this is the deal that they deserve. And we mm -hmm. will get there. We will get there. Mm -hmm. I have every confidence. And uh, lastly, how's the uh, vibe been out in New York? Ah, the vibe's been great in New York. I've been here just less than 48 hours, but I've been to all four of our regular picket locations here in New York. I've had a chance to talk to our members um, out on those picket lines. They are energized. They are strong. They are ready to do what it takes to bring this contract in in the, in the right way. And um, I think it reflects the kind of unity and solidarity I've seen in LA and New York. We had a a rally in Atlanta two nights ago where over a thousand members attended. We had uh, a rally in New England with a huge number of members turning out there. We have another rally coming up tonight. There are members all over this country. In fact, there's a rally that our, uh, that our sibling union, Equity UK, is putting on in support of the strike. Uh, on I, It's Friday their time, so it's probably happening soon. I'd have to do the math. But um, there is tremendous support uh, to our entire membership, excitement, and also all around the world, our um, sibling actors unions around the world are all standing in great solidarity with us. And we appreciate that so much. It means a lot to know that everyone recognizes the fundamental justice of our position and why why our members have to do this. And uh, sorry, if I could ask one quick follow-up question on the AI front. I mean, 
Sure. You know, how, how do you how do you sort of look at at AI and the the potential impact it could have on the industry? Uh, you know, from a performer standpoint versus a writer standpoint. I mean, my my impression is that the technology is further along when it comes to its potential impact on actors than writers. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right, especially because we've already seen it, you know, implemented with respect to some actors and those implementations thus far to our knowledge, uh, have been done in compliance with the philosophy that we've brought forward, i.e. informed consent. In the, in the case of most of those uses, it's been the estate of the actor, not the actor themselves, but that's fine, and uh, negotiated fair compensation. So that philosophy that these companies have themselves used shouldn't be so controversial. But yeah, I mean, that is already happening. And from our members' perspective, uh, you know, this is the time. There is no doubt that the industry wants to use these tools and will use these tools during the term of this contract. And there has to be a firm and enforceable set of rules about the respect that's going to be given to performers when you're going to digitally use them you know, to create a performance that they never delivered in person. And uh, that has to be respecting their right to control what they do, whether it's in digital form or physical form, and also paying them when you're going to use their image, likeness, and voice to make a project or to promote your content. They need to be compensated for that. It's just fair. Thank you so much for your time, Duncan. I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know you're a busy man, especially this week. Absolutely. So thank you for, <laughs> for so much taking the time out of your travels to chat. Absolutely. It's nice to talk to you. Thanks again to Duncan for joining us. Subscribe to the Angler Strike Geist newsletter at strikegeist.com. That's S-T-R-I-K-E-G-E-I-S-T dot com. Totally free for the latest on the WGA and SAG strikes every day. And more of these conversations with leaders on the front lines. You can, of course, reach me anytime at elaine at theangler.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>